I'm in the third of a series called Living with the Word, Living with the Word. It follows on a series called Living with Vision. And um, each of these series really have to do with um, enhancing what God's done in our life and focusing us so that we can be effective when we walk out those doors and we are ambassadors for Jesus out in the world. So what I'm going to open with is the same verse I've used for the past couple weeks out of Psalm 119. And it's uh, verse 165 to 160, 162 to 165. Um, and it is the bold testimony of a person living joyfully in a corrupt world because they've learned how to live with God's word. And that is the only hope, by the way, for being able to uh, live in a world that is corrupt. And uh, the world has always, since Adam fell, been corrupt. But it's especially um, difficult, hard, uh, when the corruption is leading, is ruling, seems to be winning. And that's the hour that we find ourselves in today, no doubt. I don't need to editorialize on it for anybody this morning, I'm sure. But taking God's word, loving it from his lips, from his heart, into our heart, walking in it, living it, that is the secret for being able to joyfully live in this corrupt world. So the psalmist who is making this comment in 119 says this, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but your word, your law, I love. Seven times a day, all day long, I do praise you because of your righteous decrees. Great peace have those who love your law. Now here's the part I want to focus on this morning. Great peace have all those who love your law. Nothing shall offend them or make them stumble. Nothing shall offend, or the word offend could be taken. Nothing shall enslave, entrap, or defeat them. Nothing shall offend them or make them stumble. Well, the world's culture of offense, and let me just pause and tell you why I've selected that phrase, because if you want to understand every single miserable story that's coming through the TV and the radio sets today that you listen to, and you're trying to put it all together and wonder, what's the origin, and where's this all going, and why is it happening, that phrase defines it, culture of offense. What you're seeing is the fruit and the results of offense and people who are living in the trap of offense. So the, words, the world's culture of offense is Satan's strategy for keeping people out of the kingdom of God. The best way for Satan to keep people from receiving Jesus is to keep them offended. Because when you're in offense, you're not operating in your right mind. Up is down, down is up, and you are absolutely focused in, lasered in on yourself. And you and your whatever it is that's got your nose out of joints, the only thing you could think about. And um, so you don't see Jesus. He doesn't show up on your radar. So all the devil has to do to keep people out of the kingdom of God is keep them offended. And 
And when Jesus was giving his talk about what the end times would be like, his disciples had come to him near the end of his ministry. They said, Lord, tell us, what are the signs of the end? What if, what's the end going to look like? And Jesus is laying it out for them. In Matthew 24 and verse 12, he gives one of the most important predictions when he says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love, and the word there is agape, the agape of many will grow cold. First of all, agape is not the love that we see circulating in the world. We see brotherly love, we see maternal love, parental love, we see sexual love, we see filio, which is a, a social love, a love of brotherhood. But agape is unique. It is God's love, and it resides only one place, and that is the heart of a believer whom the Lord has has extracted, saved, delivered out of sin, and set free, and he's put his love in their heart. And they've received God's love. That's called agape. Then Jesus makes this warning, so you'll understand it a little better, because lawlessness abounds, the agape of many. So who's he talking to? He's not talking to sinners. He's talking to the church. He's talking to saved, born-again people. He says the agape, the love of God in you, is going to begin to wax cold because lawlessness has increased. Well, why would the increase of lawlessness in, uh, in our society and culture cause the, the greatest force in the universe? The Bible says love never fails. So what would cause the, the greatest power in the universe to grow cold? Because we are deviated from the love of God into offense. We become angry, we become bitter, and we lose our bearing, we lose our senses, we drift from our mission, we have that mission creep, and we start moving off of the mission that the Lord Jesus has given us, and we start getting out into the enemy's territory, and we start fighting with him on his ground the way he wants to fight, and he wins that fight every single time. So, Jesus warns in the last days, because iniquity abounds, many will become offended in the church. Many people, many Christians, are going to lose their effective power. When Jesus gave what he called the most important of all parables, the parable of the sower, he was talking about, and we talked about a couple weeks ago, the sowing of the word of God, and that's how the kingdom of God comes into people's hearts, is the word of the gospel shared. And Jesus said how that, well, sometimes the word is sown by the wayside, and the fowls of the air get it, and it's not planted. Sometimes it's sown in rocky soil, and sometimes in soil choked with weeds, and then sometimes it reaches a good, broken up, freshly furrowed heart, takes root, and the kingdom of God comes forth. When he was giving that parable, he was talking about offense, keeping people from receiving the word of God. And I hope this morning that if there's any offense in your life or any weakness, and I, I, I am going to go ahead, go out on a limb and guess that if you're anything like I am, if you've got any sensitivity or sense or sense of righteousness whatsoever, you probably at least once a day um, are confronted with the opportunity to become severely ticked off. <laughs> However you want to say it, 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 it happens. So Jesus is talking about the sowing of the word, and in Mark 4, 17, he says, those who have no root in themselves, 
They endure when that seed of the word is planted for just a little while, but then it springs up and it's scorched by the sun. He said, afterwards, when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are, what? Offended. Immediately they are offended. So Jesus is saying that Satan's most effective tool at keeping people from entering the kingdom of God is to keep them deflected and distracted with offense. And I think there's whole groups that sit around and just talk about how offended they are. Um, we know they had 40-some cities on fire a couple years ago in America. Thousands, tens of thousands of out-of-their-minds offended people going crazy, trying to burn down their own neighborhoods and our nation. So, modern Christianity today, we have, talk about mission creep, we have drifted a little bit from the Word of God. When you read the book of Acts and what the believers were like, I know if you read with any honesty in your heart, you're reading thinking, well, we're not really, uh, you know, we're not walking in that kind of power uh, like we should be or that devotion. Modern Christianity, you could say a lot of things about modern Christianity, but one of the observations I have, and I think we really need to address it, is that today in modern Christianity, we don't even train Christians to avoid offenses. We don't even warn, we don't train Christians to not engage in offense. Instead, we foster a culture of offense by preaching the doctrine of victimization the right to be offended. We encourage people's right to be offended by soothing and smoothing and basically endorsing people in their offense. And you're going to hear in this message this morning some things you might be sitting saying, preach, pre preach, preacher. I'm with you, man. I, I can see where you're going. Well, wait till I get there because uh, you, you might not be with me on everything. But that's all right. You know, um, it's our job to make people angry enough Praise the Lord to look at their life, look at God's word, and at the same time, speaking and ministering hope. You know, in this digital age that we have entered into, and by the way, can I simply say, you can lament, you can fight learning how to text and everything, but you're only cutting off your nose to spite your own face. We're here, we're not going back. So can I tell you right now, we heard it yesterday, praise the Lord, at the meeting that we were at, yeah, the... Yeah, corded phones are not coming back. Right. Typewriters, no, they're not coming back. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, where's my device? It's over there. There it is. We live in a digital age. You can curse social media. You can say, I'm not participating in any of that. That's fine. It's your prerogative. But the rest of the population's there, and they're not going to withdraw. So if you want to fish where there's fish, you, you know what I'm saying to you? So you can curse the digital age if you want to, but what we need to do is we need to learn how to be effective in that environment. And you can't do it if you're offended. You have to learn how to avoid offense. So the digital age has globally accelerated offenses at an exponential rate, no doubt. Within hours of an offense in one city, the whole nation's burning itself to the ground. Happens in a matter of minutes. Stuff happens to people half the world away. Has no impact on you. They're not your people. It's not your neighborhood. It's not your thing. But you're out, you're, you're running around with your hair on fire, and uh, you want to choke somebody. So um, the global media, the global media uh, acts as a uh, fire accelerant 
to souls that are just sitting there smoldering, waiting to burst into flame. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more important for Christians today than loving, learning, and walking in the Word of God to the point where you are not going to get trapped into offense. You know how to stay out of those offenses. And this is the only way, the Holy Spirit in your life speaking to you through God's Word is the only way that you're going to avoid it. I, like, I always use this scripture when I teach on this subject. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Paul writes to Timothy, and he's speaking through Timothy to you and I. So here we go. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. Let me say it again. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, able to teach patient and in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. Pause for a moment. People who get into offense, they might think they're fighting the man. They might think they're fighting the system. But when the minute you get into strife, you're fighting with yourself. You're opposing yourself. You're fighting your own future. You're fighting your own progress. So it says we must be gentle and able to teach and patient so that we can instruct those who are opposing themselves to see, so, if, so that God, peradventure, could give them repentance so that they could acknowledge the truth. Now here, listen to this. So that they could acknowledge the truth and that they might recover themselves out of the snare or the trap of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. There's no way faster, not pornography, not lust for money, not uh, any other of the things that enslave and entrap souls, nothing's going to get you under Satan's grip faster than becoming offended. The moment you become offended, you just don't realize. And the reason why that sounds shocking is because we have exalted the status of victimization. We never make victims responsible for what they think, how they act, or how they feel. So, Jesus warns us about the trap of offense. He said in Matthew, again, this is, <laughs> this is where it starts to narrow down a little bit. Jesus said, if your <laughs> right eye, if your right eye serves as a trap to ensnare you, or is an occasion for you to stumble and sin. Pluck it out. Throw it from you. Notice that he doesn't say whatever it is that you were looking at that made you stumble, just let me know who it is and I'll go kill it for you. He doesn't even address it. He says if your eye, if your eye is stumbling, pluck your own eye out. Pluck it out Throw it away because it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body should be cast into hell. You see where we're going? If the devil can enslave people and trap them in offense, he can drag them down into hell eventually. Nothing controls your life more effectively and quicker than being angry, being affected. It brings a kind of paralysis and control that is, uh, could probably only be explained by putting on the news for about a couple hours. 
You know, back in the uh, 1860s, one of the greatest stories that I learned as a kid growing up, um, back when we could have truth and have stories, um, in the 1860s, there was an illegitimate boy, Irish boy, Irish kid. His name was Joel Chandler Harris. And uh, he was illegitimate, orphaned, and he lived on a plantation in Georgia. And he spent all of his time with the slaves on that plantation as his mentors. And when he grew up, he later took all the little lessons uh, in the stories that the slaves would tell him and compiled them into a wonderful series called the Uncle Remus Stories. And Disney, um, back when they were very different, um, put out, I, I think, a, a movie or so about the Uncle Remus stories. One of the most classic of those stories dealt with the virtue of avoiding offense. And it has been traced back to Africa, that's where its origins were, with variations of the story traveling and being found all around the world. And it's the stories called the Tar Baby. Everyone say Tar Baby. Now, you say in a restaurant, you might get jumped, but um, that was the story. And it's really sad that a story that has its roots in such profound truth and is really designed to help deliver people from the worst trap in the world, the trap of offense, has become outlawed. But the Tar Baby is a phenomenal story. It has two characters, two main characters. And uh, those were the clever rabbit named Br'er Rabbit, and the conniving fox named Br'er Fox. How many of you, by the way, familiar with the Tar Baby story? Okay, well, some of you are about to get an awesome education. I know you can go out on, um, go on the internet. It's probably been expunged and wiped out. You probably can't find it unless you can find an old book. But it's a tremendous story. So you've got um, Brother or Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox. Now, Br'er Fox is always trying to capture Br'er Rabbit because he wants to eat him, right? So he's, he's, his whole life is wrapped up in, I've got to catch this rabbit. And so he devises a surefire weapon that's designed and aimed right at Br'er Rabbit's biggest weakness. And his biggest weakness, the rabbit's biggest weakness, is he's cocky and he's very proud. And so Br'er uh, Fox comes up with this great surefire weapon and he calls it the Tar Baby. And what he does is he makes a doll. And knowing that the rabbit's extremely social, he loves to stop and talk and greet people and everything. So he makes a little doll and he takes turpentine and he takes tar, puts them together, and he molds this little doll, this Tar Baby, puts some eyes on him, puts some clothes on him, sets him up on the side of the road where he knows Br'er Rabbit likes to run up and down the road all the time. So he puts him there on the side of the road, certain that Br'er Rabbit's going to come by and he's going to try to talk to the tar baby. He's going to greet him and say, hello, sir. How are you doing? What's happening today? Isn't this a fine, sunny day that we've got out here today? And, of course, the tar baby's going to sit there and just look straight ahead and ignore him. And Br'er Rabbit is going to become offended. He's going to, he's going to start by getting annoyed and he's going to be angry, but... If, if, he's, if he's anything like Br'er Fox figures he is, he's going to take that anger and he's going to turn it into a fence. So, sure enough, Br'er Rabbit comes along, greets the Tar Baby. Tar Baby rudely ignores him. 
And uh, with his ego offended now, uh, Br'er Rabbit cannot leave well enough alone, and he ends up jumping on the tar baby and wrestling with it. The minute he starts wrestling with him, the tar baby, who's not really a baby, starts winning immediately because he's all, you can picture, right? I don't need to go into the explanation. So now, now Br'er Rabbit, he's helpless. And he's helpless to escape what? Not the tar baby, but the fox that's waiting down in the drainage ditch on the side of the road, ready to come out and have the rabbit. So I don't know whatever African wise man devised the tar baby pro uh, proverb, but he nailed Satan's trap of offense. Nailed it. He was preaching the word. He was preaching the Bible, that African wise man. And um, so let me, let me share with you a, a bit of a schematic about the trap of offense. Satan's trap of offense. But before I do, let me just tell you, if, if you and I are going to be effective representatives of the kingdom of God in today's culture of offense, we're going to have to know how to deal with offended people while staying out of their trap. And that's really what Paul was warning. He said, learn the word, learn to be gentle, learn to be kind so that with instruction you can help to extricate offended people from that trap without you becoming offended. If you're going to lift somebody out of the trap of offense, you've got to be delivered. Offended people can't help offended people. You know, have you noticed what happens when offended people get together? They form a club. And the whole club's going around like a gang, attacking everybody and everything, right? So it takes an overcomer to lead someone out of the trap of offense. Notice that Paul had said, gentle to all men apt to teach patient in meekness. When you become a Christian, your proclivities, your attitude towards this people and that people and uh, people of this uh, socioeconomic position or people from that area of the world or people, f you know, who, whatever the differences are, um, they're shaped by experiences that we had or people that influenced us when we grew up. And that's where prejudices and, and racism and all these different things come from is that we get impacted. Or during our tender, vulnerable years where we should be in the safety of teachers that are rooted in righteousness and want to help us to grow up strong and godly or having an influence, teachers sometimes pour their poison into it. Sometimes mommy and daddy pour their poison into you. So unsuspecting children grow up all ready to just go at the first trap of offense they see because they've been primed. And so the Bible says for us, it doesn't matter what we used to be. When you're born again, the Bible says old things pass away. All things become new. And so God, God has sent his spirit into your life so you become a new creation. Things change about you. It's just absolutely disempowering for the church today that we have all these different styles in the churches that are all aimed at um, attracting Christians who aren't very far away from what they were when they were sinners. They're just now saved versions of the sinners they used to be, and they're looking for the style that appeals to them. I love to see men and women, young people, who really allow the Lord to become Lord of their life, and they become transformed, and they, they barely resemble 
the offenses, they may look the same because outward appearances don't matter. They matter for absolutely nothing. But God looks upon the heart. And so God wants to see those changed hearts. The fox, Brer Fox, waiting on the side of the going to get you every time if you don't recognize the tar babies that he has set up along your path. You know, and I could just hear people saying, yeah, but you don't know the offense that I'm dealing with. People always point to the importance of the offense, the particular offense that, that bothers them. And the reality is, is that the, the things that offend you may be legitimate. They, they may be a legitimate gripe. But the problem is, is if they're encased, they're always entombed and encased in a trap, a little stick trap. How many of you know what a stick trap looks like? You know, a little box or trap or something that's held up by a stick. You put the bait on the inside and, right, and so you go, once you get in there and you take the bait, all they have to do is pull that stick and the trap falls on you and there you have it. You've got that, you've got your hands on it, but you're not getting out, you're trapped. That's a trap of offense. So the schematic of the trap of offense is very, very simple. It's got two parts. Um, there is two working parts to every trap of offense the giver of offense and the taker of offense. So everyone say giver, giver. taker. Those are the true moving parts and it takes both of them to create an offense. You've got to have someone who gives offense and you've got to have someone who takes offense. So someone has to give the opportunity to be offended and then someone has to take the opportunity to be offended. Br'er Rabbit was the taker of offense. Now, remember that Jesus said, if your right eye, not the fox's right eye, your right eye, if your right eye serves as a trap to ensnare you and give you an occasion to stumble and to sin, you pluck it out and throw it away. Notice that when, it, when Jesus steps back and looks at the offense, he doesn't jump in as a social advocate. He's not a social worker. He's not a, uh, he is not a social warrior. He doesn't address all the ills and the rights and the wrongs. The world that Jesus entered into was a corrupt world, a harsh world. Who did Jesus deal with? The individual. Always the individual. And so he says to you and I, if your eye, if you're looking at that tar baby, if you're looking at that offense, that thing that has wronged you, then it doesn't matter whether it's legitimate or not, the fact is you decide to become angry and you become offended. You have now entered a trap. And Jesus came to set us free from those traps. So he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. The responsibility is on you. So here's the simple remedy for the simple trap. Jesus' remedy for disarming the traps of offense is very simple. No taker, no trap, no offense. I don't care how many traps there are out there. No taker, no trap, no offense. That's just simply the way it works. And you can say, yeah, but, yeah, but, you, you see what everybody's doing. You see what they're doing. Doesn't God want to do? Yes, he does. That's just the point. God has a way. God has a plan. But his plan is not to use a whole bunch of offended people. He wants to use people who've been lifted above the offense. 
You know, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. This is exactly what the Bible's talking about. Be angry and sin not. Do not become part of the problem by becoming one of the offended people. Be a redeemer. Be a reconciler. Always in your situations, be looking for that one or handful of people who have got a heart and an ear open to the kingdom of God and are ready to come to Jesus because that's your mission. That's your mission. All of this, and if you know me, you know that I am very active and about social issues, about our world, very passionate about it, and very engaged. But the reality is that it is not till that day I was talking about before that Jesus comes as the King of glory that this is really going to be fixed. Amen. True justice True justice comes from people who love the Word of God and subject and submit themselves to it. And uh, so that is why we vote for people as leaders, for example, who are not enslaved in those traps of offense with an axe to grind, wanting power so that they can offend more people and drag more people into their offense. Instead, what are we looking for? We're looking for people who will uphold righteousness and uh, who will uh, uphold freedom. You defeat tyranny with freedom. And that's, that's how it's done. You can't, you have to stay free. And so I'm going to close uh, with these couple of thoughts. And uh, just a warning, this is going to get hard to swallow. Jesus warns offended people not to be trapped. That's how he deals with it. If you have become trapped, it's your responsibility. And I'm going to tell you how to get untrapped. That's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't deal with it by stepping in and um, uh, reinforcing your attitude of victimization. Because Jesus dealt with your victimization on Calvary's cross. He submitted. He wasn't a victim at Calvary's cross. He was a sacrifice. And there's the difference. Jesus walked right up to Calvary's cross and laid himself on it and was lifted up for you and I. Jesus was not a victim. And in his sacrificial death, when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, knowing what was coming next through his resurrection and the transformation of souls that would be affected through what he is about to do, and he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, Jesus was making the path for you and I to be able to walk victoriously in a world of offense and deal with offended people. That's where the real power is. The power is in Jesus' lordship and nothing less than that. It is the lordship of Jesus Christ that delivers people out of the trap of offense. So, you know, <clears throat> Br'er Fox's doll, the tar baby, was simply that. It was just a doll until Br'er Rabbit grabbed it. When Br'er Rabbit grabbed it, he turned it into a trap of offense. So it's not an offense until you engage and you give in to it. So then who's responsible for the trap that you or I are in? The taker always blames the giver. Have you ever noticed that? 
all these groups, all of these special uh, interests, they're all about those who have taken offense. They're all about helping them find who to blame, who gave this offense, who made me like this. Look, I say this all the time. They make me so mad. That makes me so mad. But the reality is, every time I say it, the Holy Spirit says, no, you choose to get mad. <laughs> they are what they are. Yeah, but they're wrong. The Lord says, I know they're wrong. Yeah, but they're stupid. The Lord says, I know they're stupid. You're a little stupid too, <laughs> saith the Lord. So you, you understand, but the Lord says, I have given you power. I have set you free. I've given you authority over these things. You are forsaking the work of the Holy Spirit when you let yourself become part of that trap. Don't turn that opportunity into a trap. It's just an opportunity of the devil. It's just a weapon of the devil that hasn't had any effectiveness in your life yet. Don't pick it up and make it effective. That's Jesus' whole message about offense. Praise the Lord. So, we always condemn the giver of offense as criminals while we exonerate those that take offense as victims. That's why we're not solving any of these problems, by the way. Mass murder, shooting, come on. We all grew up, those of us that are ancient like I am, we all grew up, man, I, I grew up in neighborhoods, kids are walking up and down the street with guns all the time. All the time, shotguns, 22s and stuff. We got in fights all the time, always getting in fights. No mass murderers. I don't even remember ever growing up hearing of some kid who mass murdered a bunch of kids. Never happened. I, I, I'm not wanting to get off, and, but you can understand that the reason we are not winning this argument, nothing's improving, is because we make those that create the trap of offense responsible rather than the people the, who take offense. The people who take offense are tomorrow's jailers. The, offend, the offendee today is tomorrow's trap builder. And it just goes on and on. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So, when we've all taken responsibility for being mature and forgiving and understanding and patient away from those that take offense, we take away their salvation. We take away their ability to be healed. We take away their ability to be delivered. True change that really matters is never going to come if we keep telling people who think of themselves as victims, that they have no responsibility in their own trap that they have walked into. It's disempowering, and it just simply keeps people in the same trap. Remember that the bait is not important. Whatever it is that draws people into these conflicts, that's not the issue. The issue is that you engage in a trap. You know, Jesus does not permit his people to handle tar babies. You know that. He, he absolutely does not, he does not allow us to jump 
on tar babies. And the reason is, like I said, today's offendee is tomorrow's offender. And the nature of the tar baby is to transfer itself onto the one who grabs it. So, um, listen, you and I, we can disagree with what people say. They can do mean things to you. They can do things that make you angry, that, that offend you in that sense of the word. Um, but, but always remember, always remember who's waiting in the weeds by the side of the before you grab that tar baby. You can disagree with people, but always remember. If you fail to realize that that issue that you're looking at, Satan is right there, ready to jump on you, if you act towards it the way that he d deals with things. You need to deal with it the way Jesus deals with it. You know, when we validate, and unfortunately I'll go back to what I said in the beginning, that uh, um, the church today has a serious problem, and that we validate people's unforgiveness. Rather than telling them the truth, Jesus said, repent, pluck your right eye out, do whatever you need to do, cut it off. I'm here to forgive you of your sin. Yeah, well, it's not my fault. It's not my sin. It's my dad's sin. It's my mother's sin. It's, it's what they did to me. Well, come back when you're ready for the real world, when you're ready for truth, ready for the real universe, because as long as you are buying that stuff, you're not ready for truth. And it's, the gospel isn't going to have any impact or effect on you until you are, until you come and you say, I'm broken, I need a healer. Boy, that's the way to come to Jesus. So as long as we're validating people's unforgiveness, we're stopping them at the altar from taking a step forward and receiving Jesus. They're going to come holding on to their bitterness. And then what do you end up with? You end up with a whole bunch of churches that are organized around special offenses. And they got their banners outside and their, all their little, you know, uh, uh, little signs and slogans and things. But here's what the Bible says about all that stuff. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 19, 11 says, A person's wisdom makes him slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook offenses. God wants to cover you and I with his glory. That glory is not going to come upon us until we overlook offenses rather than engage with offenses. And, you know, it, it's better for us if we encourage one another to walk in forgiveness, to take and suffer wrongs, to be like Jesus who never turned aside. Um, you know, when... when you're walking with Jesus. Jesus saves you from the inability to walk past tar babies. There isn't a scene in this gospel, not one scene in the gospels, where someone wasn't setting up a tar baby for Jesus. He walked by rows of tar babies all day long, every single day, but you never see him jumping on the tar babies. He was never trapped by the enemy. And you want to know why? It's because your salvation was too important to him to turn aside and fight with the offenses of the world. He had a mission. He was driven by his love for you. 
That's what was guiding him to Calvary's cross. So it was too important for him to lose himself in the quicksand of strife. I'm going to close with this verse. Revelation 3.11, Jesus said, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one takes your crown. Don't let anybody or anything take your crown. Jesus is coming. Amen. Close your Bible or turn off your device. Stand with me this morning. And our prayer this morning, before we go, is simply going to be focused on this. Lord, in my life, is there any area where Satan is able to trap me, to draw me off sides, to get me engaged in a trap? And if you, um, and I think probably everybody will say, mm, yep, I can think of, any of you have kids? Sometimes that'll do it, yep. Uh, parents, sometimes that'll do it. Relatives, bosses, people at work. And then there's all the craziness out there in the world. So there's all kinds of things. This is, this is how you want to deal with those things. Wrong is wrong. Injustice is wrong. It is. God sees it. Injustice isn't anything but injustice. But only righteousness can really deal with those things. Only love can really make a difference in some of these very, very difficult. And sometimes it's a long process of time. And so God is not saying to you and I, you don't have a cause, you don't have a case, or he may not be saying to you, I don't want you involved with that at all. He's saying, look at me. Don't put your hands in that trap. I'll give you a strategy. I'll show you how to walk in love Remember what I said. Remember my word to you. Don't let your love grow cold just because iniquity is abounding. I know it's abounding. I have a way of dealing with it. So if, when you know you have the victory, when you know 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, when you know those things, it's hard to get offended. It's like, wow, I'm more than a conqueror. Why am I all upset about this? I'm more than a conqueror. And when you're, when you're being drawn into the, the, the temptation to think, someone needs to do something about this. Well, you're right. You're right. God's got ways of using you and I to do those things. But just remember, our mission is different. There's nobody else who can fulfill your mission. And your mission is to be the light of the world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come boldly and we uh, come with honest humility before the throne of grace. So thankful that, Lord, you're, nothing escapes your eye. And, Father, you are well aware. And you cannot, Lord, you do not advance your kingdom by allowing your children, Lord, to engage and be offended and become angry. Help us to stay holy so that we can have true power, the real power that brings real answers and the real wisdom. I just praise you and thank you for it. I pray for every man and woman under the sound of my voice right now that through the work of the Holy Spirit in their own heart, 
that you will release your grace and that you will speak to them and that uh, peace will come. And they'll be able to back away from those traps in the mighty name of Jesus. And now I pray in closing, if there's anybody who is listening to this message and you're not saved, you may be a Christian in thought or, or you think you are in principle, but a real Christian is someone who, in whose life Jesus is living as Lord. And that's not something you can make yourself. You have to invite him in to be Lord of your life. And if you haven't done that, you can do that right now. It is simply a decision, and that takes just a moment. And it's the turning of our will. And so pray with me and ask him to come and be Lord of your life. Father God, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And I believe that's who you are. Come into the world as Jesus Christ. I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord. I ask you to come into my life and be the Lord of my life. Save me. I need you, Lord. I need you. I need you. And I receive you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Everybody, God bless you. Remember that um, the fellowship is at 1 o'clock today, so you've got plenty of time. Um, feel free to greet one another. Make sure you meet somebody that you don't know. Say hi. Takes a few moments and uh, share together. And hopefully we'll see you up at Terry's house around 1.